Hello. We affectionately call this, ooh, it's echoey, the Britney mic, but I told Rob I don't want to call it that because that feels weird. So Todd's calling Janet Jackson, but here we go. <laughs> it's called a headset, so we'll go with that. Um, hi, everyone, and welcome again. Happy New Year. So glad you're here. Um, I send greetings from Josh, our lead pastor, who is finishing up his sabbatical for his little mini leave. Um, Patrick is on his three-month leave, so pray for him for the next three months as he takes some time alone with the Lord. Um, but I'm here to hang out with you guys, and I'm really excited to share a word with you guys. Um, as we begin the new year, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of topics that we could talk about as we have like a new year uh, sermon. A lot of times, you know, at the end of the year, you reflect on what God did last year. Um, we can look forward to what God's going to do this year. We can talk about setting goals and resolutions. Um, some of you guys have gotten to know me. I've been here, actually today is my five-month anniversary, so hello. Uh, <laughs> and um, some of you hopefully have maybe gotten to know some of my better qualities. I'm organized. I think structurally and strategically. I love people. I love to feed people. I fed our, our Asian folks last night with a really awesome dumpling party. Um, I love to go on adventures and explore. Um, one of the things I don't like to do is set goals for myself. I'm actually really bad at it. Um, I can set goals for other people and help them achieve them, but it's just not my thing. There's, you know, the really popular question of where do you see yourself in five years? I hate it. I hate that question. Um, it's not because I don't know or have vision for myself in five years. It's just not where my brain starts. It's not what I think about first. Um, then again, if you had asked me at this time last year where I would be at this exact moment, I 100% would not have said that I'd be standing here in New Haven on the other side of the country um, as the executive pastor of this church, having experienced my first New England winter, East Coast Christmas, um, and preaching to you guys. This is not what I had envisioned last year at this time. But at the same time, I know that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be because I know that this is where the Father has called me. So today, I actually want to share with you guys a little bit more of my own story um, and some really precious things that God has taught me, specifically about worship and hearing God's voice um, and how that has actually brought me here. Before I dive in, let's pray together. Yeah, Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love your presence. We love that you speak to us and that you guide us and you uh, lead us. So would you be present today as I share would you uh, speak through every word that I have, and would you minister to every heart in here? Yeah, thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. So a lot of times when people think about worship and the Bible, one of the people who comes to mind is David, um, who was known as a man after God's heart. I think we have a lot to learn about what worship is through his story and his relationship with God. Um, today we're going to look at a story about David, uh, but not a story you would initially uh, associate with worship. We're going to talk about the story of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel 17. It's a pretty long passage, so we're not going to read the whole thing together at the beginning, but we'll go through it um, as we go through this, as we go through the story. So we'll begin by reading the first couple of verses. Maybe. I will read to you <clears throat> as Mariah helps us out here. So it says, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damon. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. 
So the Philistines were a group of people who were against the Israelites, the people who worshipped God. The battle took place between Soko and Hezekiah, which translated from the Hebrew actually means between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> Fun, right? Ephes Damon means on the edge of blood. And this area is part of the land of Judah, um, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, whose name means to praise. This was a land dedicated to praise and worship of God by his people. Uh, the people of Israel and Judah are supposed to be all about worshiping God, but the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, are coming against them. So the valley in which this, place, this battle takes place is surrounded by mountains. Um, one of the things I noticed when I moved here is there are no mountains that I can find in Connecticut. Uh, where I was in California was literally the base of like mountain, 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 and then valley. And so it's weird for me to look up and not see any mountains. But this is a place surrounded by mountains. Each army is camped out on opposing mountaintops with a full view of the valley below. One of the reasons that they're at a standstill for so long is because in order to attack the other army, you got to come down your mountain, cross the valley, go up the other mountain, and that just leaves you completely exposed So, and at a disadvantage. So the Philistines and Israelites have been in the standstill for quite some time when finally Goliath comes out of the Philistine camp and addresses the Israelites. The name Goliath means soothsayer, false prophet, false authority. He's a liar. Goliath was intimidating God's people. He's a big guy with lots of armor and artillery. Goliath is dominating in the atmosphere, speaking out a lot of really big statements and striking fear into the Israelites. Let's read verses 8 through 10. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. For 40 days, Goliath goes out and says these things, casting lies and fears into the mind of the Israelites, paralyzing them from action. The Israelites, the very ones created for worshiping God, are no longer worshiping. They're stuck listening to the words of Goliath, the soothsayer, the liar. Here's the thing, though. Who gave Goliath the right to prescribe the manner in which this battle was fought? Who gave Goliath the power to determine the military order and subsequent reward and punishment. From a worldly perspective, it's easy to hear these things and accept his statements. But just because someone has the loudest voice or opinion doesn't establish their statement as truth. Let me say that one more time. Just because someone has a louder voice or opinion does not establish their statements as truth. Truth is truth, and God establishes truth. The Israelites have heard God's words so, or have heard Goliath's words so much that they have allowed him to dictate the rules of engagement. So verse one began with now the Philistines, but we're at verse 12 and it says, and everything's about to change. It says, now David. The name David means beloved. David understands that he is beloved by God and he is God's beloved. David is the youngest of his seven brothers. In verse 17, David, David's father asks him to bring bread and cheese to his brothers. He says, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their 10,000. See how your brothers fare and bring some token from them. As someone once described, David's just the pizza delivery guy. He's bringing bread and cheese to the troops. 
David didn't question or complain to his dad or stall. His obedience is not dependent on his understanding of the request. He was immediately obedient to what his father asked him to do. David enters the battlefield and observes the scene. The Israelites tell David, to whomever kills Goliath, the king will greatly enrich and will give him his daughter and his family and make his family free in Israel. So whoever kills Goliath gets the girl, the glory, and the gold, and a tax write-off. David responds, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The word uncircumcised is used a lot in this passage, and we'll just say that it refers to someone who has not been set aside for God. The Israelites are appealing to David as a human, getting the gold, the girl, the bling. This too skews what is really happening. The Israelites somehow think that incentivizing the warrior with earthly rewards will somehow get someone to step up. But David is impassioned to action when he hears these words. Is there not a cause here? Is there not a real cause other than the temporal stuff? Goliath is talking about the God we love and serve. Passion rises up in David. He has enough passion to put his life on the line, and he finds himself in step with God's purposes for him. His brothers try to talk him out of doing this. They accuse him of being full of pride, telling him he's too small and too young to be the hero. They are competitive and polarized against David. In verse 28, his older brother, oldest brother, Eliab, asks him, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have just come down to see the battle. How many of you are younger siblings? Anyone? Yes! I am also baby of the family. Um, I have one older brother. At one point or another, we have probably all heard something along the lines of, go away, you can't play with us, you're not old enough, or you're too young, or, you know, like, we just, I don't want you here because, you know, I'm the older sibling. Um, As the younger siblings, we often have three responses. Uh, One, we retreat back, let our older siblings have their way. Two, we whine and go tell mom and dad that our older brother, sibling, sibling, sister, whatever, can't, uh, won't let us play with them. Or three, we stubbornly stand our ground. I definitely erred on the stubborn side and refused to take no for an answer. So David's brothers tell him he's not a good enough, he's not good enough to fight, to play with the big boys. What makes you think you're qualified to do these big tasks? Are you just trying to make a name for yourself? You're trying to get rich or famous, married? Go back to your simple, lowly job. Instead of retreating, tattling, or adamantly stating that he can do it, David doesn't even entertain these comments from his brothers. He simply turns away to find a solution to the threats being made against God's people. David then gets sent over to Saul, who has heard that he is willing to fight Goliath. Saul, too, tries to tell him that he is too young and not equipped to fight. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are just a boy. He has been a warrior from his youth. Saul presents yet another voice telling David that he can't fight Goliath. In verses 34 to 37, David describes to King Saul how he killed lions and bears with his bare hands. Guys, the Bible is crazy. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw and strike it down and kill it. 
your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. (laughs) David created a history with God in his time in the fields, watching the sheep that prepared him to do battle against Goliath. He had plenty of practice fighting off and killing ferocious wild animals. What's one giant human? David also had a lot of space alone with God in the fields, since shepherds are often alone in the fields with the sheep. From what we see here, I imagine David was steeping in God's presence in the fields. As a musician, David, who actually authored about 73 of the Psalms in his lifetime, spent time singing and playing to God in the fields, learning to hear his voice and being in his presence. And that has shaped and defined his worldview. This time in the field, both the time spent fighting Um, animal predators and the peaceful times alone with God prepared him for battle with Goliath and paved the way for him to be known as one after God's heart. I think it's important to note that David's history with God wasn't built on big epiphany moments, though I could guess they were probably present. He wasn't out chasing an encounter with God or trying to get a prophetic word. He, in the previous chapter, we actually see that Samuel came to the house to anoint him as king. Um, And you guys may know the story, but he goes through all the brothers and he's like, wait, is there one more? Well, David's not even there because he's out taking care of the sheep like he's supposed to be. David is out doing the mundane everyday task. He's obedient to what he has been called to do. And that is how he, in his obedience, he has built his history with the Lord. In verse 38, Saul tries to clothe David in his armor. Saul is just trying to help and protect David, but David takes the armor off and says to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I am not used to them. So David steps down into the lowest place and grabs five smooth stones. At this point, Goliath is ready to fight. Imagine Goliath. He's, I think the Bible says, or there are some historians that say he's like nine foot, nine inches tall. He's a man wearing approximately 173 pounds of armor, and he's just walking towards David, this giant man, right? He's got another smaller guy running alongside of him. He's his armor bearer carrying all his stuff, right? So you got these two guys, and then David's just over here with his shepherd's staff and five smooth stones and a sling. Goliath sees him and immediately mocks his small stature. He says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. David responds, speaking words of what is to come. The Bible calls this prophecy, speaking truthful words from the perspective of God of what is going to happen. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David is absolutely confident of God's strength and ability in this situation. This enables him to proclaim that God is going to win and he will overcome Goliath. 
he puts a smooth stone in his sling and swings the slingshot, releasing a new sound into the battlefield. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Up to this point, the Israelites have only heard nonstop threats, taunts, and lies. But with this new sound, David begins to prophesy, you're going down. You cannot defeat the armies of the Lord. David moves with an authority from God foretelling Goliath's imminent fall. Verses 49 through 50 describe how this battle ends. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. Because of the history he had built with God, because of his daily obedience in the everyday mundaneness of the field, David was able to do this massive, seemingly impossible thing, slay the giant. This is one of my favorite stories of the Bible, not just because it's crazy and awesome, but because I've seen some of these themes play out in my own life. Allow me to share some of my own story with you. There we go. Music has been a part of my life since I was very young. I began playing violin when I was five. It was my birthday present. And I started singing um, for our youth worship team in sixth grade. When I was in seventh or eighth grade, our worship leader asked me if I would play violin for worship. And for me, this was a completely foreign concept. I didn't know, like, we had a contemporary band, so it was like piano, guitar, drums, bass. I didn't even know you could do violin with a band. It was completely foreign to me. Um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to improv. And so I literally played scales in the background of every song. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> as, I, as I kept doing this, eventually God began to download melodies into my mind and my heart. And I, I started to play those. And as I began to develop this gift, I found that there were oftentimes things that God would tell me that I couldn't express with my own words. They weren't even things that I could sing in a melody, but they were things that I could only play for my violin. My violin became an intimate love language for me and God, and I was able to use this language to minister to myself and others, playing songs and melodies over people. I felt sure that God had called me to be a worship leader, to lead music, musical worship, and I wanted to pursue that. I entered college with a business administration major and decided at the end of my freshman year to add a music major. And so I thought it would help me lead worship teams more effectively, you know, just be equipped for that. And I remember going through the whole audition process, the interviews, the application. I wrote this long statement about how I knew my life calling and that this music major was going to make it happen. I was already concert mistress of the school symphony, and I was the first violinist in our city symphony. And so it felt like, it felt like an easy thing to do. I was accepted into the program, and I went full speed ahead. Well, two things happened my first quarter of my second year, which is the first quarter of my music major. Um, the first is I got tendonitis in my shoulder, and that made it completely impossible for me to play violin without excruciating pain. I literally, like, couldn't lift my arm at all. I couldn't lift anything. It was just very excruciatingly painful. Um, my choices were to either stop cold turkey, I had to rest for a minimum of six months, or I could take steroid shots. Um, at this point, I was almost 20 years old, and I was like, ooh, I don't think I'm ready to take steroids yet. And so I had to take a break. The second thing that happened was that God had a very fun talk with me. Uh, he said, yeah, I want you to be a worship leader, but I'm going to build that into you. 
This isn't something you're going to earn in the way that you see best. You will be a worship leader because I make you into a worship leader. No credential will ever do what I'm going to do in your life. And with that, one quarter after getting into the program, I dropped my music major. Since that time in college, God has brought so much healing, developing, equipping, and favor. I was so intent on building my resume to get ahead in worship, but God wanted to do something different and better. In the years following, I learned that worship is not, in fact, a purely musical thing. I began to understand how, um, how much more important my heart and character are to God and how that is an integral part of my worship to God. I spent time listening to God. I learned how to lead myself in worship during my personal private times with him. I allowed others to speak into my life to bring out the good and the bad. I built a history with God. I entered into a refining process, stripping down the pseudo-credentials that I attached to myself and dove deeply into the presence and love of God. The word worship comes from the Greek word proskuneo, which means to prostrate oneself in reverence, to give adoration, attention, thoughts to. Um, it's, we all worship something. It could be our jobs, money, status, belongings, family, God. It's our heart attitude toward that which we love. I realized that I had been worshiping my status as a worship leader, my ability as a musician, and my reputation as gifted. In all of this, I had not, in fact, been truly worshiping God. This journey of understanding and engaging in worship has been going on for over 20 years and still continues, not because I haven't figured it out per se, but because it's actually a daily choice to worship God in every moment. I very rarely lead, musical wor lead worship musically anymore, but I've come to love teaching others what true worship is all about. It's about accessing the heart of God. And leading worship isn't about singing on a stage, but it's about bringing people into the presence of God. As people in the kingdom of God, we are called to be worshipers. And as a worshiper, you're actually called to be someone who brings people into freedom, to free yourself and those around you from the voices and the lies that we are, of lies that we are so frequently surrounded by. Those voices try to, to, try to rob you of receiving the fullness of your freedom. Let's do a quick recap of the characters in our David and Goliath story. Each character actually represents a different voice we hear in our lives. Oops, here we go. Goliath. Goliath is the voice of intimidation. He sets the rules of engagement and lists out the consequences for losing the battle. You're going to fail, and you're going to be stuck in this rep forever. The Israelites are the voice of the world. They try to entice us to act with worldly incentives. If I become a great worship leader, I'll become rich and famous. Brothers, the brothers are the voice of limitation. They say to us, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not old enough, you're not talented enough, you're not smart enough, you are not enough. King Saul is the voice of manipulation. He tries to convince us that we need to do things in a particularly prescribed way in order to get the desired results. You have to graduate from a top university, you have to get a good job, you have to get married, you have to have children, you have to retire well, there's a whole plan. Often these voices try to convince us that we just have a personal weakness, but it's actually not about a personal weakness because you're carrying something that is not just for you. There's an attempt to rob you so you never fulfill, you never receive your full freedom because you are called to be one who frees others. 
David didn't slay Goliath solely for his own benefit, but for the freedom of all the Israelites. There is, a big, there is a cause bigger than me, bigger than what we do musically or vocationally. There is a reality that God wants to release in us, to us. When we are free, we are able to help others get free. If there's a giant standing in your way or a voice speaking to you that is counter to God's reality, that giant needs to come down today. That voice needs to be silenced today. There's two other voices in this story. There's Jesse, and we can say that he is like the voice of the father who calls forth our identity and commands us to go. There's also David, who is the voice of faith. He understands who he is in God's eyes and is empowered to move into action as God's beloved. The voice of the father is the voice of God. God can move in a second to silence the negative voices and speak your identity, your truth, and direction to you. You can rise up a new person, confident in your identity as God's beloved, paying attention only to the voice of the Father. There's a translation in the Bible of the Bible called the Passion Translation. Um, all you scholars, don't, don't scream at the Passion Translation. It's just fun. But in Ephesians 6, the Bible talks about the armor of God. I love how the Passion Translation describes part of that armor. It says, in every battle, there we go, Take faith as your wraparound shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. With faith in God, the lies and other voices, those blazing arrows, are extinguished. With faith in God, our heart attitude can shift and change everything. Everything in your future can change based on one response to one word God speaks. In my own story, I battled with the voice of the world, the voice of limitation, and the voice of manipulation. I somehow believed that I wasn't good enough to lead worship, and in order to become good enough, I needed a degree. But the voice of the Father spoke differently and asked me to trust him, to look at my heart condition and build a history with God. When I was in high school, I was in a season where I was struggling a lot. One of my best friends moved across the country. Our church had a really nasty split, so I couldn't hang out with a lot of my friends. I was asked to step off of a ministry team. My mom's appendix had burst, and while she was in surgery, they had some complications, and she almost died. And I was just dealing with a lot of depression and anger. For about six months, I was an angry, terrible mess. But I still went to church every Sunday. I showed up. I went to youth group. I was present. But I constantly exuded anger and frustration. One night during a worship gathering, I remember sitting at the far back of our sanctuary. Everyone else was at the front, gathered for worship. One of my best friends was leading worship. But I remember sitting on the ground, and I was just pouting. And I told God, I was like, I really don't want to be here. I'm really mad. I'm mad because you took away my friends. You left me alone. You've taken away all of the stuff that I worked hard for. I do not want to be here. In the midst of my rant to God, I heard him very gently say, said, no, I'm mad at you. He said, stand up. I said, no, I don't want to. Stand up. I said, why should I? I'm not going to pretend to worship you. I'm not going to pretend to start worshiping. Everything sucks. He said, stand up. After going back and forth for some time, I finally gave in and I stood up. No sooner did I stand than I heard God say, now lift up your hands. He said, no. He said, lift up your arms. No, lift up your arms. I don't want to worship lift up your arms. With what I could easily imagine as the biggest sigh and huge eye roll, I finally got my arms up in the air, fully open. And the moment my arms slowly raised, I broke down in tears. Something broke in that moment. 
For months, I'd been listening to the voice of myself that I was alone. I wasn't good enough. I was forgotten. I was wallowing in my anger and detesting God for what he had done to me. I refused to hear the voice of the Father, but in that moment, the anger broke. The tough exterior broke. The sense of failure broke. The loneliness and abandonment broke. The sense of failure broke. In the moment that I listened to the voice of the Father and was obedient to him, the moment that I made a conscious decision to enter into worship even though I didn't want to, God broke into my life and began this incredible healing process leading to where I am today. I wasn't all perfectly healed in one night. I believe that can happen, but that isn't my story. It's been a journey of learning who God is and in turn who I am because of who he is. This was the moment that changed my life. You see, there is such power in turning our attention to God in worship, especially when we don't feel like it. I have so many stories I could tell you. I'll have to save them for another time. But I will tell you that from personal experience that you can receive your inner healing, you can receive your physical healing, your breakthrough, your freedom, your transformation by simply turning your attention away from the other voices and to God and choosing to worship him. Our words and our thoughts carry power. The words we speak over ourselves, over others, uh, and over others, the words we hear spoken around us, even the lyrics and songs we sing, these carry immense power. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The Passion Translation puts it this way, Your words are so powerful, they will kill or give life. What voices are you listening to? What voices are you surrounding yourself with? There you go. What voices are you giving attention to? What voices are you giving power in your life to dictate your outcomes? Are you able to enter worship seeking the heart of the Father, or do you enter worship with a flood of other voices in your mind? Are you hearing the voice of intimidation, the voice of the world, the voice of limitation, the voice of manipulation? If so, I want to invite you to turn away from those voices and listen to the voice of the Father. Can you hear the the voice of the Father calling you beloved and ordering your steps in him? Do you have the voice of faith to rise up in obedience to what the Father is calling you and to what he's speaking. There's a saying that says, you become like what you worship. You see, the voice you listen to is the voice you worship, and the voice you worship is the voice that shapes you, and the voice that shapes you is the voice that forms your identity. That identity by which you live contextualizes the way you live your whole life. A person full of fear and anxiety created by negative voices or as a person full of confidence and hope, created by truth and affirmation from the Father. In the Near and Far Advent sermon series we just finished, we learned about recognizing and responding to God's glory when it shows up, whether it's in the world, in our neighborhoods, at home, or in our hearts. God can interrupt any moment to make himself known to us. Will we hear? Will we listen? Will we respond? It's in those moments that we will be able to hear God's voice and rest in his presence like David did in the fields. It's in these spaces that we can be equipped by his words and promises to us through what he speaks to us and through his words. When we give ourselves times for these spaces, we can rest in God's presence, get to know who God is, and understand the purpose he's created us for. 
I want to encourage you to create a history with God. Don't be good or turn on when others are listening or looking. Build a history with God and learn to hear his voice so that you have something to draw from at all times. Learn who you are and live life from that identity. David knew that the threats coming from Goliath to the Philistines were lies because he spent time listening to the true voice of the Father. David knew that he wasn't fighting for fame, glory, girls, or riches. He was fighting for the Lord. David knew that he was good enough to fight because God had given him practice in the fields. David knew he wasn't supposed to wear Saul's armor because God had equipped him differently. He knew these voices were not voices from God, not voices of truth or identity because of the history and the time he had spent with God in the alone spaces of the fields. In your worship, personally and corporately, you are creating a history with God so that your character can be developed and your identity revealed. When we worship, there is so much happening that is very real and very powerful. Some of you today may be here who have been listening to some of these voices we've talked about. Intimidation, the world, limitation, manipulation. You may feel constantly like the world is against you, telling you that you're not worth anything, you're not good enough to accomplish your dreams, you have to do things everyone else's way. Perhaps you've never heard the voice of the Father, or you haven't heard his voice in a very long time. You haven't heard the Father call you his beloved. You haven't heard him say that you're good enough. You haven't heard him, uh, you haven't heard him say that he has given you creativity to do things in a new way. Today, our Father wants to speak to you. He is calling you beloved. He is calling you able. He is calling you creative. He is calling you beautiful. He is calling you smart. He is calling you strong. He is calling you courageous. He is calling you chosen. He's calling you his own. Brothers and sisters, I'd like to make an invitation to you today. If you feel like you've never heard the voice of the Father speaking to you before, or you haven't heard his voice in a very long time, I'd like to invite you to stand in just a moment. God loves you, and he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to speak to you today and every day. God's inviting you to turn away from all the other voices that flood your life and turn to him, the one who speaks love, who speaks loving truth to you. I'm gonna invite you all to close your eyes for a moment. If you'd like to hear God's voice speak to you and say yes to him for the first time or for the first time in a very long time, I'm gonna invite you guys to stand right now. So just give a moment. If you want to hear God's voice speak to you, either for the first time or the first time in a long time, go ahead and stand. Let me pray for you guys. God, I thank you for each person standing here today. Thank you that they are choosing to listen to your voice over all of the other voices in the world. Thank you that you desire to speak to them clearly and to call out their true identity. Thank you that you are the God of truth and hope, the God who speaks to us in love and kindness. Today, we choose to say no to the voices that are not from you, the voices of intimidation, limitation, 
manipulation in the world, and we choose to say yes to your voice. God, I ask that you give each person standing the courage and strength to turn from these other voices and the patience and ability to hear a clear word from you today. God, would you silence every voice that is not from you? Would you bless each person to hear you and help them to choose to listen to you every day? Thank you for the work you are doing in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite the rest of you to stand um, right now. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and prayer ministers. I have a couple of other invitations for you as we prepare to worship and, do, and enter into prayer ministry. There are some of you who may have been struggling for a long time to silence the other voices in your life. If that's you, come and receive prayer. God can and will silence those voices so you can clearly hear him speak. Some of you may have realized that you may sometimes speak with words of those negative voices um, that we talked about today, um, that you may have the voice of intimidation, limitation, manipulation, or the world. If that's you and you want to confess and repent of that today so you can speak words of life and not of death, I invite you to come and receive prayer. If you stood earlier, oops, um, to say that you want to hear the voice of the Father for the first time or the first time in a long time, or you didn't stand earlier, but you want to now, I want to invite you to also come and receive prayer. Finally, some of you maybe feel like you don't know the identity that God has spoken over you. Just as David's name is beloved, God has a name for you. My name, Carissa, comes from the Greek root charis, which means God's favor, uh, God's grace, favor, and gifted. My last name, Louis, means thunder in Chinese. My name is Graceful Thunder, a name that actually very accurately describes who I am. Some of you may want to hear God's God, your God-given name. If you want to know your God-given name, come receive prayer. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, what voices and lies have I been believing? Let's ask God to silence those voices as we turn our attention to worship, to, in worship to God, the voice of truth, the voice of the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that we have all listened to voices that are not of you. We ask today that you would speak clearly to us, that we would hear your voice speaking your identity and truths into our lives. As we enter into worship, we invite your Holy Spirit to come and work among us, meet us, and speak to us as we turn our attention to you. Amen. <laughs> 